And Lord, to see people come to know you, Christ. And even just an authentic nature they have, Lord God. They don't have anything to hide. That they're unashamed about who they believe in and what they believe, Lord God. And this morning, I pray that you would release even a portion of that, Lord God, just to equip your church, Lord God, um, just to make us better and greater to advance your kingdom, Lord God. We thank you, we honor you this morning for these gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sound check. Hello, 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 hello. Okay, cool. Um, I, I really, I'm, I'm a firm believer that um, God calls Father, calls, he doesn't just call the man or he doesn't just call the woman, but he calls the whole family. And um, during worship, my daughter comes up to me and she goes, Dad, I got a song. So if it's okay, can I, can I just get it? I just, I'll just play for her and she's going to sing over you. Is, is that okay this morning? So um, I just, just, you know, she, she said, Dad, I've got a song. And I said, okay, you know, I want to make room for her as well. And there's our boy over there. This is our boy over here just walking in from the back. <laughs> okay, cool. I just, Annie, I didn't even ask you what you wanted to sing. Yeah, so finally, so um, I'm just gonna just gonna play, and then if you can just open your hearts to what she's gonna um, gonna sing over you. Uh, this song that I, uh, I asked her just now, I didn't know she was gonna sing it, but it's a song that I wrote in a season where my dad was in intensive care. One of my brothers was suicidal. Another brother left his wife. Um, my wife and I were going through our own issues. Our church was going through a transition and everything just felt like, man, God, I'm out of here. <laughs> and how many of us have been like that? And, uh, you know, and we, we get so frustrated with each other. And sometimes in those seasons, um, I call them seasons where I throw bricks at God or I try to throw rocks at Him. I'm sure He just laughs at my relationship with Him. But the phrase throughout the whole time, well, the phrase that never left me was that He's constant He's never changing. So I'm just going to get her to sing it over. Yeah. 
Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, God, that even when seasons are all over the place and it feels like we're going through the storms of life, we have this resilience within us that we can say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, because all the praise belongs to you. All the praise belongs to you, God. You're constant. You're never changing. You're still the same, God. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You've never changed, God. You've never changed, God. You're the king that everyone loved to hang around because they saw that your words were laced with grace. Your eyes were full of compassion. Your eyes were full of, full of mercy. And God, we thank you, God. We thank you. You said that we would have troubles in the world, but you said, take heart, for I've overcome it. So, Father, we stand in that victory, God. We stand that you have overcome. And, Father, we commit this morning to you, Father. Would you be glorified? Would you be honored in Jesus' Mighty, 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 beautiful name. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen, Amen Father. So good, eh? So good to be here. I'm so excited. I'm like, if I talk 100 more miles per hour, that's normal, okay? That's, that's just me. I get excited about the Word of God, and sometimes uh, my mouth goes faster than my brain, or my brain goes faster than my mouth, and then it comes out like this. <laughs> So if you hear that, that, that's normal, okay? That's normal for me. So, um, can, you, can I have the first slide up, please? How many of us know that um, expectation versus reality? How many of us have tried to make that, that cake on, um, on a website and then it comes out like that? How many of us have done that before? Can I have the next slide, please? It's true. All the parents are saying, yep, that was me. I tried to make a Pikachu um, cake for my son, and that's what it turned out. That's why we went to the key- cheesecake shop after. Uh, the next one, please. <laughs> Lydia's Kitchen, eh? Got nothing. <laughs> Lydia's Kitchen, Frankie's Kitchen. <laughs> Last one, please. Yep. Uh, looks like a Father's Day present, eh? The one on the right-hand side when your child comes up to you and goes, Dad, I baked this for you. <laughs> but your child had that in, in vision. How many of us know that when we come before God, we actually have an expectation? And then there's reality. Can I have the next slide, please? How many of us know that expectation is actually not a bad thing? It's actually a good thing. But sometimes our expectations are unrealistic and sometimes our ex- expectations aren't grounded really in reality. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a guy, Edwin Lewis Cole. He said, you judge others by your... You judge others by their actions, but you judge yourselves by your intentions. Mm. Oh, I don't like the way he does that because I'm intending something else. It's true. eh? We judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. And sometimes our expectations get us into trouble. True? If you look through the Bible, you will see it constantly. John the Baptist, he had an expectation of Jesus. In fact, John the Baptist got beheaded. His head got chopped off. But while he was in prison, he said, Jesus, are you the one or should we expect another? Because if memory serves right, you're my cousin and you're meant to be the king of this world. But you've come and I'm in prison. What the heck is going on, Jesus? Sorry, can I say that? Sorry, I just said it. But finally, how many of us are like that with God? How many of us see expectations and we're going, God, I haven't won the lottery, so why, why should I believe in you? Oh, God, Joseph didn't look at me a certain way, so why should I have, 
why, why should I even talk to them? Because you've set an expectation on them. And then we realize this. Even, even if you look at Mary and Martha, they had a beautiful relationship with Jesus. In fact, Jesus, Jesus loved them so much. Lazarus dies. And then Mary runs up to Jesus in her, in her anguish and her grief. And she goes, Jesus, if only you were here, he wouldn't have died. How many of us know she had an expectation? Martha had an expectation because Mary was like lying at his feet and just listening to Jesus. And she was in the kitchen. How many of us have final members like that that are always sitting down doing nothing and the others are in the kitchen and you're always complaining about them? How many of us are like this with this final? <laughs> There's those people that recline at the feet of Jesus and you're like, oh, yeah, you should be in the kitchen doing hospitality. How come you're not in the kitchen doing hospitality? But can I tell you something? There's a truth that I learned in this story, and the story goes like this. It says, if you put your service for the Lord before knowing God, then you become a complainer. <laughs> if you're always thinking about, look what I'm doing, instead of looking at this relationship, because I'm telling you, Father, when this relationship's good and you love God, that becomes easy. But the problem is we put our identity in this, and then we get hoha with everybody else. Like, oh, too much, I don't want to go through this anymore. It's Te Wiki o Te Maori, so I'll just chuck in some Maori there. <laughs> but how many of us are like that? How many of us get fed up with each other? But if, if our relationship is good with God, our relationship is good with others. And sometimes we have expectations. Can we go to the next slide, please? And sometimes those expectations are there because... Because we have an expectation of God that's unrealistic. We have an expectation of others that's unrealistic. And we get so caught up in the reality that we get angry. See, the problem with the modern church is actually patience. We want everything now because right now everything's like a swipe. I don't like that swipe. I don't like that swipe. Some of us have got big biceps because of all the scrolling we do. See, spiritual maturity is not determined by how much knowledge we possess, but by how much he possesses us. Because <laughs> when he possesses us, we change the world because of the person that lives within us. Because my Bible says that Jesus is the hope of glory, not our wise concepts. You know, what's crazy is that Paul begins with this, he says, he says, the Apostle Paul said, spiritual growth is an ongoing process. And then he says this in Philippians 3, 12, verse 14. He says, not that I've already obtained all of this or all that, he, that I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of what God has for me. Yeah. And then he says this, but one thing I do, I forget what is behind me and I strain towards what is ahead of me and I press towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. Sometimes when we come before God, we're so conscious of our past that we can't look into the future, and we can't look into the purpose, and we can't look into the present because we're always looking, at the, looking behind us. And the devil is so good at doing that. He's so good at reminding you, like when it comes to times of worship, I have the privilege of leading worship back at our house, and it's a privilege to have the Aero Youth with us. And I noticed something. When we do icebreakers, they're like, yay! And then when we're like doing some announcements, they're like, yay! And then as soon as I say, let's do worship, their hoodies come on and they become withdrawn and they're like, oh, it's kept us. 
And I'm like, God, why are they like that when it comes to worship? Could it be there's a war? Because in John's account of Jesus, Jesus said that the Father seeks worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Do you know what that word truth means? Truth means unconcealed. And we're too scared to unconceal our hearts because our hearts are being marmite because we've been hurt by others. Amen? And we realize this reality. We want to soar with the, the eagles. We want to soar and we want everything right at the top of the rafters. We realize our feet are on the floor and we realize that God has timing. If you look at the book of Genesis, you got Joseph. I love Joseph's story. He has a dream at 617. Dream at 17. So how many of us will get excited with a dream from God? Guess what happens next in the story? His brothers throw him into a ditch. How many of us have shared dreams with our father and they're throwing us into a ditch? Then he gets sold into slavery. How many of us would, would even treat that as God's purpose? How many of us would just go to a pity party and go, <laughs> why is this going through? And then get this, he's working as a slave and he becomes 2IC and then his wife sees that Joseph is attractive. And she's like, I want you, Joseph. And he didn't want to and he ran, but she held onto his cloak and then she goes, he slept with me. Then he gets put in jail. Hold up, didn't God give me a dream? Why am I in jail? Some of you are sitting here right now and you're like, God's given me a dream. Why am I in jail? God, this is my expectation, but why am I living out this reality? And we get disappointed with God. We get disappointed with each other. Can I tell you something right now? There's no such thing as a perfect church. In fact, the moment that you joined the church, it became imperfect. <laughs> I'm just going to put that straight out there, Father. I just put it on the table, Joseph. I wear my hand on the sleeve. Yes, I do. And the crazy thing is, is that John C. Maxwell, he's a famous author, he said, do you know that in between expectations and reality are disappointments? But what if I told you that you can't disappoint God? What if I told you you can't disappoint him? What if I told you you can't disappoint God and that God doesn't have unrealistic expectations over you, that he understands your reality and just like a GPS system, he's going, rerouting. 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 Oh, God, but I did this. Rerouting. Because when we identify purpose and we think that God has a purpose and God has a plan, guess what happens when you think about a plan? You think about you can fail a plan. But God has a purpose. See, a plan is like A or B, but it's never A or B for God. God just reroutes and goes, goes back to the original. Yeah. And sometimes people camp in their disappointment. You know what disappointment is like? Disappointment is like this garment. Come here. Sorry, Zach or Josh? Zach, okay. I can't tell them apart, but what happens is that disappointment becomes like a garment. And we get disappointed. And we get this. Sorry, it's such a big jacket. <laughs> and we get disappointed with God. And we're like, you guys, 
this is my disappointment. The problem is with disappointment, it becomes your identity. Can you think of cousins and whanau and family that have let their disappointments become their identity? But you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've overcome. You don't know who my parents were. And sometimes these things become excuses. But I understand that. I understand that. But my Bible also says in Psalms 23, even though I walk, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The Bible doesn't say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to camp. He doesn't want you to camp in your worries. He wants you to walk. It's inevitable. Everybody here, you're going to go through bad times. You're not immune from it. And sometimes we're like, even though I walk, but no, I'm going to camp because this is going to become my identity. Look at me. This is who I am. But finally, we can't afford to think how God does it of us. And we like beating ourselves up. And I'll show you, it's, it's, it's a common thread throughout the Bible. You know what I love about the Bible? The Bible is full of normal people. <laughs> Ordinary people. Ordinary people that understood the extraordinary God. Let's turn our Bibles, okay? Because you're like, Frank's saying a lot of stuff, but he's not anchoring the scripture, so it mustn't be true. It's okay. I know you were thinking that I could see it in your eyes. <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay, let's go Genesis 3 and I'll show you. Genesis chapter 3. It's on the left-hand side of Revelation and inside the Bible. Okay, here we go. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpents, we may eat of the fruits of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was good to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her. Can you guys highlight that part? Husband was with her. And he ate it and the eyes, both, then both of their eyes were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. You know what's interesting about that story? So if, if, if we picture here that she's Eve, and I looked up Google. Google said there's about one to 2,000 edible trees. So you imagine a garden with one to 2,000 different types of trees that you can eat from. Then the devil sits here and he goes, you want to eat that one? He hasn't changed, you guys. How many times does the enemy make you focus on that one thing they're one thing that you can't have as opposed to the merit of God's goodness. Yeah. Do you know what the problem with Eve is and what happened there? She engaged with the corridor with Satan. How many of us get a thought and then we engage in thought? And look at what happened with that thought. Because she kept up this conversation, she ultimately ended up sinning before God. 
The next verse, it says, Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. See, when we have corridors with, the, with Satan, guess what happens? We hide from the very presence of God. When we become unsatisfied and we don't become content in seasons and we look at other fruit trees as opposed to what God has given us, guess what happens? We hide away from God because we think we know better. This is the part that buzzes me up. They hid themselves, but the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? That's an out of a question, eh? If you're God, wouldn't you know where they were? See, God doesn't just want him to rule. He wants dialogue because he's a father and he loves his children. And just like sometimes the father can out-wrestle his son, sometimes he lets the son win. But the Lord God said to him, I mean, sorry, the Lord God said to him, where are you? And he said, Adam, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Can you see the problem with mankind? When you start talking about you more than God, you start hiding yourself and you start making up excuses and the garment becomes your identity. But look at what God says. Who said that you're naked? Who said that you're naked? Who said that you're naked? I'm, I'm tired of the church always making up excuses. Instead of, instead of looking at what God has done, we make excuses of what we've done. But we're not bigger than God. We can't outlive God. He was here before we even came and he'll be here when we're gone. So maybe he had a purpose. Maybe he had a plan. Maybe he wanted to outwork something in you. But we let our conversations with the devil overtake us. And we let him convince us that we're wrong. And we hide ourselves from the very presence of God. Do you think it's interesting? Because I know if, if I was God and that was the garden and they ate something I didn't tell them to eat, how many of us would have said something like this? It would have come with the, come here, mm. Come here, come here, come here. <laughs> Smack them. No, no smacking. Sorry, guys, I was just, I was just acting out what Peter does. <laughs> when we feel like we're naked, we hide ourselves from the very presence of God. Another man said this. The character, of a king, the character of a kingdom emanates from the character of the king. And if we aren't spending time with God, then we're not reflecting God. Another man said this, it's actually a violation of your design not to walk in the garden with God. Violation of your design not to spend time with him. It's a violation of your design not to sit there and ask God, where to in my life? Let me give you another scripture, okay? So let's turn our Bibles to John chapter, oh, sorry, Luke chapter 15. You guys with me? Yeah. You guys okay? I'm not too angry. I'm not, I'm not angry normally. Just, <laughs> <laughs> not just abnormally, no. 
So let's read from um, Luke chapter 15, verse 4. Is this the parable of the lost sheep? Yeah, you guys are all there, parable of the lost sheep. Okay, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts, he puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbor together and he says, Rejoice with me for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than one 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Okay, let me, let me paraphrase it like this. Everybody knows what a sheep looks like because New Zealand's known for sheep. But if you had 100 sheep and you lose one, I know what I would have done. Ask oh, anyone. Ask <laughs> anyone. Just close the paddock and let's get on with it. So you imagine this. There's 100 sheep and they're all grazing here. And what do sheep say? <laughs> okay. It's all right. Maybe they didn't say bye, but there's a there's hundred sheep. And then all of a sudden, the hundred sheep hear the shepherd's voice. So 99 of them all go that way. And this one over here, he's that typical sheep who's tippy hardy, no, no tidiness, doing his own thing, just nipping away. And then guess what? The 99 have gone and he looks up and he goes, bah, where's everyone? <laughs> How many of us know that the Bible doesn't say, or Jesus doesn't say that that sheep was a bad sheep. All he said was that that sheep was a lost sheep. How many of us know there's people in our community, there's people that are here, guess what, they're not bad people, they're really good people. They're just lost. They're trying to navigate this thing called life that's all over the place. And they're trying to navigate this thing called life and they're like, nah, I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going. And then check this out, Jesus grabs the lamb, he puts it on his shoulders and he goes, look, I found my sheep. Does that sound like a disappointed father? Does that sound like you can disappoint God? Let's look at the next one. Here we go. Sorry, that was the last sheep. I got excited. Last coin. Because I was. Or suppose one of you women, suppose a woman had 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light up a lamp, sweep the house and search until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there will be rejoicing in the presence of angels in God over one sinner who repents. Okay, now this is an interesting story that Jesus is telling here. How many of you lose money on purpose? You lose money on purpose? Oh, there's a second person I've found in New Zealand that loses money on purpose. But the majority of people do not lose money on purpose. When you lose money, you're careless with money, right? You're careless when you lose money. How many people have been careless with other people's lives? Because i tell you something. If I had $2 coin and I buried it in the fenoa outside, and I came back and I checked up, and then 10 years later, the coin will be still intact. And guess what? How much would that $2 coin be still worth? See, it's not the condition of the coin, it's the value of the coin. And sometimes people have been through some horrendous things. Some things I can't even fathom. But here's God, and he sweeps out the whole body, and he pulls out the coin, and he goes, look, I found the lost coin. 
doesn't say it's a bad coin. It just says people have been careless with other people's lives. And I found them and they have value. Rejoice with me. Does that sound like a disappointed father? You can feel his presence here. Now there's some people in here that are really struggling with it now. Like, why did I go through what I went through? I can't answer those questions. But one thing I know, the similarity of this story between this son and the lost sheep is the fact that they were lost and God just wants them to come home. I'm going to pray. Is that okay? I'm just going to pray and then we'll continue on. So Father, where there's been people here, God, that have gone through some crazy things, Lord Jesus, just like that song, oh God, that you're constant, never changing. Would you reveal who you are, Lord God, and show them, Lord Jesus, you have never left them nor forsaken them, and that you called them to a purpose. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Artie Kendall, he's a famous author, he says this, he says, when the devil reminds me of my past, I remind him of his future. Because <laughs> his future's in the book of Revelation. Go there, look it up, read it. His fate is done. Don't let him put a garment on you and don't let him make that garment your, dis- your disappointment, your identity, because that's not who you are. You know, my wife, I have a lot of respect for my wife. My wife, their version of having final time was weighing ounces when they were nine, nine years old because they were the local tinny house. I love my father-in-law. I love my, my wife's father. But what she's navigated through life and what God has done, and now she gets to travel around the world and tells everybody that God loves them. It's because God wants to turn your past into a purpose because he has a plan and a future. Not so that we can wallow, wallow in it, but that we can stand on the, on the victory of that cross. Then we can go, look, this was my life before Christ. But the problem is, is that we're always here and we're always kneeling and we're always feeling disappointed before Christ, but we don't realize there's a life after Christ, there's a life in Christ. And in fact, most of the letters in the New Testament is talking about this fullness of life, what it looks like after. And a lot of us camp at salvation, but it's not camped at salvation. It's for a purpose. God has called you for a purpose. God is molding you and making you for a particular people. You go through what you go through because God wants you to do it. God wants you to lead those. And he doesn't want people that don't know. Um, I've got a good friend that works in Otara, and she says she has this T-shirt. And it says, only the ghetto can change the ghetto. But what I love about that is that is that you have to have experience. And sometimes God put, brings you out of that so that you can bring reconciliation to others. Amen? Let's continue to read, okay? One more story. Let's look at the, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, okay, so Jesus continued, there were two There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my estate. So he divided his property between them. Not longer after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and he squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself as a citizen of the country who went and he went to field pigs. He longed for his stomach to be filled with the pods 
that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired sons. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him. Then the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and on earth. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you see the dialogue there? Who said they're not worthy? Did the father? It was the son. The son said, I am no longer worthy. How many of us come before God and we say, God, I am not worthy? But if we actually look at this story, He's the running father. Lydia, you like that slide. He's the running father. And when you think you're not worthy, guess what? He goes, hey, I've made you worthy. Because religion now there is about what we can do for God. But guess what? Relationship is what he's done for us. And here we have this father who was waiting, looking out for his son. The Bible says that he was filled with compassion and he ran to his son. Overwhelmed with emotion, he threw his arms around him. And guess what else happens? As he's talking, as the son's talking, he's going, Father, I'm not worthy. Guess what he does? Look, look at this. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring me the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is now alive. He was lost and now he is fine, found. So now let us celebrate. You know what I love about the father? The father loved having a feed. He got the fattest calf. He got the fattest calf to have a feed. And while the son's trying to rehearse this, actually, I should backtrack. The son was rehearsing his apology. How many of us, before we come before God, we rehearse our apology of how not good we are? And we rehearse our apologies why God cannot use us. I'm tired of the church doing that. Because if we understand the extent that he went through and the price that he paid, God himself paid the price for us. And we make up excuses, but guess what father says? Quick, bring me. The father ignores his excuse. He said, quick, bring me the best robe. Do you know what the robe represents? The robe represents righteousness. So when you're feeling unrighteous, guess what God says? You're righteous. He puts a ring on his finger. Do you know what the ring is symbolic of? It's symbolic of authority. So he goes, when you come before me and you're feeling unworthy, I'm going to tell you you're worthy because my righteousness is upon you. Not only is my righteousness upon you, my authority is upon you. Not only is my authority upon you, his shoes, he, they put shoes on. In, in, in that culture, in that time, slaves never wore shoes. Only sons did. So get this about our God. When we feel like we're disappointed and we feel like our God does, we don't deserve our God's mercy, guess what? Guess what? He still puts a clothes of righteousness on you because he's saying, hey, I've made you righteous. I've given you authority because I'm calling you my son. Are you hearing me, church? Then we have the older brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some of us are the older brother too. Mm-hmm. 
Do you know what really stink about this story? I had a revelation. What if the older brother, I'll read the story then I'll, I'll tell you my cut. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field and when he came near to this house, he heard the music. And dancing. So he killed one of the, oh, sorry, killed, no, he called. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, what is going on? He says, your brother has come home. He replied, and your father killed the fattened calf because he, w- he has them back and safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. Here we go, the father again. The father goes out and pleads with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and, and never disobeyed your orders. And you didn't even give me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when your son, who has squandered his property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him? The father says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead, but now is alive, was lost, and now is found. Does that sound like a disappointed father? Do you know what's crazy? I had this revelation. Do you know the older brother? When they killed the and calf, he was so angry that they called a fattened calf. You know, you, you read it, he goes, I didn't even get a goat. That was probably his prized calf. He probably had a name on it called Babe. Probably called it Babe. And Babe would greet him every morning. And then he hears all this music and he's like, where's Babe? Where's Babe? You didn't even give me a goat and you took Babe. And here's this guy. And what I realized is that we can have sacred cows too. We can have that very thing that we think is a thing that we've done for God. And then when someone who's not as qualified just walks through the door and he eats their calf, we're like, hey, do you know what I did for that? That's my calf. It could look in the, it could look in the form of music. Do you know what I paid to write that song? And hey, you are just singing that. That's my calf. Why does that sound like you, though? That's my calf. <laughs> But I brought up that point before. If our service for God comes before our intimacy with God, we become become God's accountability team. That's (laughs) man-made. There's no such thing. Like we're always like, five minutes late. Charles never did that before. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not speaking to anything, I'm just saying, Joseph doesn't do it like that. Why do you do it like that? No, and we become custodians. And we, be, we feel like we're custodians. We all become like that. But we have to realize what our father is actually like. Do you know what's crazy about our God? And this is before I finish off. Is that if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's the famous scripture that everyone quotes at weddings. But when you look at the father... The father was patient. The father was kind. The father did not delight in evil, but rejoiced with truth. His father was patient, full of perseverance. His father delighted that his son had come home. And we see the outworking that Jesus is the embodiment of what love actually looks like through the father. Here's the last slide, guys. 
In India, there's a tree called a banyan tree. They're supposed to be, the, supposed to be some of the strongest trees on earth. And India is also noted f- for having some of the strongest creatures on earth, the elephant. And legend has it that when the wild elephants are captured, they are chained to the banyan tree for the purpose of training them to be docile. The elephant will pull against the chain until the pain in his leg becomes unbearable. But yet he continued to try to free himself until one day he will realize that he can't break the chain. And when the day arrives, the trainer will free him to captivity. The trainer can take the elephant and lead him almost anywhere he wants to, just tie his foot to a small peg in the ground. And the elephant will stay put. Why? Because the elephant has developed a psychological barrier that reminds him of being chained to a banyan tree. And see, as we go through life, how many of us are like the elephant, mentally bound to an invisible banyan tree of life? And sometimes our perspective of God and sometimes our disappointments become our identity. But just like the elephant with a little chain, guess what? They can't hold you. But we choose to be bound. And God wants to set people free today and he wants to set people and I know I know for a fact God's telling me that I can feel your heart like some of you as I've been speaking your heart's been pounding because God wants freedom this chain doesn't that chain it looks so stupid on something so big do you know who you are do you know whose you are do you know who you carry inside of you he's the same God He's the same God that split the sea open. He's the same God that created you and me. But we can't let our disappointments become our identity because God's not disappointed and God wants the best. So there's two, two, two people, you know, I'm going to identify two, two people that I feel that God wants to minister to. The first one is, You've heard me speak and you've heard me speak for almost 38 minutes, 57 seconds. And when you know God, it's like the best, it's, it's, it's probably the most rewarding thing in life. But it's like a little kid on a merry-go-round, right? They're sitting on the merry-go-round and they're like crying their eyes out. And then when you try to take them off, they're like, no! But he's the constant in the storm. If you're here and you don't know him, and you'd like to know him, I would love to introduce you to him. Because it's hard to walk in these truths when you don't know the author. It's like with Apple trying to fix Samsung, it just doesn't make sense. So why do we look at others to try to make sense of what God is making sense in our life? Why do we seek fame, fortune, all the things that just satisfy us for now, but we realize that when we go after those things, we're still lost. And just like the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, sometimes we feel like we know everything and that's why we do our own thing and we get in trouble. Sometimes people are being careless with our lives and sometimes we're just trying to navigate this thing called life, but we're lost. But the Father wants you to be found this, this morning. So, just out of respect, with every eye closed, if that's okay, if, if I can ask you, if that's you here today, 
I'm just going to ask you if you could just raise your hand and we'll just kind of identify that. Oh, awesome. Praise God. Thank you. Lord. If that's you, just raise your hand. That's awesome. That's so good. The Bible says all of heaven rejoices. thing that you're always pounding against. Every time you try to get victory, you're just pounding against the expectations of others. Expectations you've put on yourself. If that's you, can I ask you to do something really, really, really bold? If we could just stand to all to our feet, but I'm going to ask those who feel like they need a breakthrough in that area to come to the front and we're going to pray with the leaders here. Is that okay? I just feel like sitting in your seat's just not going to do it. I feel like there needs to be an outward act for you to come out of your seat and just stand up and go, you know what, that's, that's me. I don't want to live with this anymore. Let's break this off. Yeah, so if that's you and you need prayer, please come to the front and it'll be awesome. 